Foreign Government podcast for the 8th of May 2018. A podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Jon, and here's my co-host, Dave. How should I say through it, Dave? Hello, hello, hello. I'm speaking to you from the stone circle. <laughs> Yes, this is our second episode on Druid. Hope you enjoyed the first one. And uh, ex- excuse us for the, the the fact that we're doing two non-news episodes, uh, one after the other. But that's just how things worked out with our live uh, podcast we did during the summit at Berlin, or in Berlin, I should say. But before we go on to the Druid uh, information, Dave, you have something to talk about. I do, I do. So obviously we've... Not long come back from the uh, the DataWorks Summit um, in uh, in Europe, and there is now uh, a contest where you can win a ticket for the summit in the US, um, as is a, uh, a consistent theme. This this time it's in uh, San Jose again, and the idea is do something to publicise the Roaring Elephant podcast. Uh, the easiest way to do it is to. Um, tweet about it obviously use the at hadoopcast tag so we know that you've tweeted about it um, but essentially you know any any tweet any slide share any youtube mention whatever it might be gets an entry into the raffle and at the end of the raffle period we pick out a winner and that winner wins a free pass to the DataWorks summit san jose um, now you will need to organize your own lodging and travel, uh, but your access to the summit and all the sessions and that sort of thing is covered. Best of luck to everybody. If you want to have the full details on how the raffle is run, please go and take a look at our website. There's a little link there. Also going to be in the show notes. And with that said, let's, uh, let's go back to FJ. Yeah. And, uh, just finally don't delay tweet today. <laughs> he needs to get that in there. He just needs to get that in there. I do, I do. And yes, um, on to FJ. So, you know, moving from sort of some of the things that, um, you know, people who are starting to use Druid might sort of want to know a bit more about, you know, things like um, Druid seems to be very focused around this in, this sort of interactive nature. Um, yeah. You know, what what are some of the things that people... Uh, often forget when they're doing this what are some of the things that people can do if they're starting to see you know maybe <laughs> less than ideal performance things like that right uh so, so it, it is it is interesting that you know in when you're a data architect you think a lot about scale and you think about you know how to scale your back end how to scale your application mm-hmm. yeah um, but once you provide that application to end users who may not be technical like they don't Think about like how much data they're dealing with in the back end, yeah. uh, and and you know folks that have traditionally been familiar with Excel will always be like, oh yeah, no matter how much data I have, like you know, just my, my results would just like magically appear instantaneously, <laughs> and like sometimes I've seen that <laughs> cause a lot of issues where you know someone's issuing like a basically the equivalent of a select star query, but except for it's on like a petabyte of data, and yeah. now their browser crashes because they can't like even load all that data in their browser, and and they're going to their their data platform folks being like the system sucks, like why is it so slow? Give and, me back my Excel. You know, this <laughs> and so it's just like you know there's there's only like so much that, that we can do there. Like you know one we can't go faster than physics, so yep. it, there's 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 limitations of of how fast we can go with the hardware that that exists today, uh, and there's also 
you know, limitations of just how much data we can we can really display when, when people don't have a sense of like how much data is in the background. So yep. uh, that's just kind of something to be aware that uh, if you power an application or you have some sort of application where users can do anything, uh, mm-hmm. it's inevitable that people will try and do everything, and like some of those queries are going to be insane and and really yep. cause a lot of strain in the in, in, the, in the cluster. Uh, so I think that's this is something to to be aware of that you know the, the real big difference between like Excel and and things that like I always consider big data is it no longer fits in Excel like you have to think about it again <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like when things when things don't fit in Excel I just there's always that consideration of like well you know you might be potentially querying for a tremendous volume of data so when you design your yeah. applications make sure users don't necessarily have all that freedom because they're going to do some some pretty wacky things. Um, I would say, yeah, just getting started with, you know, what I've seen with people getting started with Druid in general is if they've worked with a distributed system before, um, they're generally pretty successful with, with a system like Druid and can get up and running pretty quickly. Um, if they're coming from like a MySQL world or something of that nature, it can, can be a little bit more complex. And, and I guess the advice there is, you know, there's obviously things that uh, the community is doing on our side to really simplify the process and to have really nice scripts and kind of black boxing in place. Um, but I would say for people trying it out that have never worked with a distributed system is it is going to be a little bit more complex than, than running MySQL. And that's just the, the nature of, of distributed systems as a whole. Yep. Very much so. I, uh, the uh, the advice you give about getting people to think about the volume of data they're querying is probably some of the best advice right. I've heard all week, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I wish that... Um, <laughs> I, I wish more, like, modern distributed systems, and this is something we're trying to do, we just give, like, a warning of, like, what are you actually trying to do, right? Like, warning, you're, you're quoting for you're querying for a trillion rows of data. Like, just think, think sure? carefully before you. You, you, you click, realize like, that you realize if this data was printed out on sheets of A4, it would pile up from here to the sun, or something. You know, something along those lines. A little little visualization would right. build up in the screen. Your data would would right. stretch from here to here to Uranus, maybe. Anyway, right, uh, um, right. It's, it's uh, yeah, having people think about the data that they're querying. I think right. is a really, really important part. And yeah, the other, right. the other one about uh, we can't go faster than physics. It's amazing how how often that comes right. up with people wanting things like round trip times that just are faster than the speed of light. You know, right. maybe maybe in the future, but not right <laughs> Quantum now. Computing will, will solve that. <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's it, it, it's very interesting that. You know, for, for every installment that I go into, people are like, you know, I want all my queries to complete in less than a second, but, you know, my budget for hardware is like $5. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's what, always what, a challenge of, <laughs> of educating people. Druid on a petabyte of data stored on a Raspberry Pi. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to that's gonna really rock. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some challenges are, are there's challenging there's challenging problems out there. So. There certainly is challenging problems <laughs> and challenging people. That's 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 usually right. where it starts. Um, all right, so right. I mean, what we're talking about here is a system that can deliver, you know, interactive usage, you know, scales to petabytes of data. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, really, who needs to dupe anymore? Why don't we just do everything on Druid? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say yes. Um, well, <laughs> no, that's 
you know, as as my business hat, if I put on my business hat, it's like, oh yeah, totally, everything you want to do. Uh, but I'm, I'm putting on my engineering hat right now. Yeah, and uh, with my engineering hat in place, um, I think, you know, if you look at like technology as a whole, uh, whenever one system gets like very popular, people mm-hmm. start wanting to use it for like everything, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. When people start doing that, then the flaws of the system really become yeah. exposed, and that leads to the next generation of systems that get created. You know, so if you look at like Hadoop and you look at you know HDFS and MapReduce, um, Hadoop at its core is like a data processing engine. Um, you know, you you store a bunch of data in HDFS, and then for example, you want to transform that data, you want to change it, you want to modify it. MapReduce is a great framework for that. Um, but as Hadoop became very popular uh, for that use case, people were like. Why don't we just try map queries there? And they people built systems like Hive, which are designed to uh, to translate you know uh, SQL queries into MapReduce workflows on data list and HDFS. And what that led to is, well, this is really really slow and this is really really bad. So let's the next class of systems that came out were like NoSQL systems and key value stores. And, and key value stores were very po- popular for like you know very fast retrieval of data, very fast writes of data. And then people are like, why don't we use key value stores for everything? And people realize like, oh, what key value stores actually they sacrifice a lot of flexibilities for a lot of like analytic workflows for these like traditional OLAP workflows who are doing like this is not really ideal. So why don't we make something like Druid and 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 so on and so forth. So um, like I'm a pretty big believer that you know when you work with like very large volumes of data, like even very like minute problems are really mm-hmm. magnified because of the state of data. So for example, like just transferring an event from like one place to another, right? Like at low scale, it's it's not that challenging. But like high scale, you know, the, like the Kafka folks have been working on Kafka for 10 years, like working on this problem because it is very challenging at scale. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, for like different different pieces of, of the problem, whether it's data processing, message transfer, whether it's it's uh, queries or it's more standard data warehousing, I think you do have you do need to have like different solutions. Which is why I do think like most modern modern enterprises, the ones that are a little bit more forward thinking, have like a big data stack in place. It's not just one thing that works for everything. Yep. So. Yeah, I think this that's that's the the challenge, or the not the challenge, but that's the the situation is find a, a suite of tools that integrate well together, cover the right. you know the the use cases that you're looking to do, and you know build on right. that as as you add new use cases. Sometimes you won't have right. um, all the right tools out of the box initially, but then you know sometimes a, a new project will come along that will that will tackle that latest one. So yeah. Right. So I, I think like I, I'm, yeah, I'm a pretty big believer of like use the right tool for the job, and it's it is. I, I don't think it's possible to build a system that's great for everything unless you have a very small volume of data. In, in that case, is use Excel because I think Excel is like one of the greatest <laughs> data analytics products ever ever invented. <laughs> yep. So makes sense. Makes sense. So in terms of. Um, in terms of, you mentioned that uh, you know, Drew is very designed for this kind of multi-tenant, multi-user um, sort of style interaction. What what are the sort of um, you know how how many users, how many concurrent users, you know, can can a typical environment um, you know scale to with with ease? You know, what are the sort of limitations that people need to look out for? Right. 
Um, so it's it's interesting that uh, I, I guess my my answer here is like we don't really know. Um, we mm-hmm. haven't seen deployments which have like really really struggled uh, with multi tenancy. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that you kind of deal with it is you basically add like more CPUs to the cluster. You increase you increase the replication of your shards, and that's that's really how you scale for for multi tenancy. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, today, the the so what I have seen in production is I've seen you know up to like thousands of users basically hit the system at the same time trying trying to do queries. Um, if we're going to millions or, or like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and like millions of users, uh, like the theoretical the way that it's like architected is it's designed to like scale to that level, right? If you yep. look at a system like Google BigQuery, which is really drum well behind the scenes, and some of the ideas that were, that were implemented there, those same ideas basically exist in Druid as well. So, you know, people that use BigQuery, you know, I think most folks should know that it's one giant like distributed cluster that, that Google hosts, and and um, there's potentially millions of queries at the same second there. And that same idea exists for Druid that if you really want to scale to like millions of queries per second, then you're going to probably have a very large cluster with a lot of shared resources and a lot of CPU in that cluster. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, really, we, we don't know right now. Um, there's been public facing. Um, so, if you the Wikipedia Wikistats, uh, they they did this uh, recent announcement where they have something that's public facing that's kind of tracking and measuring all Wikipedia uh, impressions and clicks and and, and that's, that's and that's that's something that can be used by a ton of people at the same time because it's out there on the internet and that's mm-hmm. uh, an example of, of a heavy multi tenant environment where it seems to be scaling okay today. Nice, nice. We'll definitely take a have a have a look at that and uh, put a link in the show notes. Um, so you know, for those uh, those organisations that are sort of publicly sort of using this um, today, mm-hmm. are there are there any sort of real sort of flagship deployments that apart from the one you've just mentioned that that uh, people should be thinking about? Um, so I think there's a lot of really cool use cases we've seen in the community and there's, there's been a lot of talks and, and presentations out there in the wild. Uh, the Druid uh, community webpage kind of maintains a list where really any company can add their use case uh, and talk mm-hmm. about their use case and people can, you know, there's links to talks and links to blog posts and stuff like that. Um, so if you go there, so this is Druid IO, I think like Druid dash powered, mm-hmm. um, there, those public use cases are are are, are pretty cool ones. Um, there's obviously a lot of, I think, even more cool like private use cases I know about, um, but I, I I really can't disclose them, so I can only talk about <laughs> about the public ones. Um, but there's, you know, there's there's private use cases I think in some of the world's like largest enterprises, uh, yeah. and these things are actually measuring products that consumers use every day. Uh, so, so this is, you know, really cool, like consumer facing products that have like heavy usage. There's gigantic deployments out there that, that are like, you know, tracking like how users interact with products and tracking like clickstream data and things of that nature at really massive scale. And I wish more people would talk about it because, uh, I'm a big believer in open source, but, um, yeah, no, I think, uh, even to just to get started and understand some of the use cases people have today, you can look at the Druid webpage and, and, and there's great stuff there. Definitely. Again, we'll we'll put another link in the in the show notes to that as well. Jan's already uh, hunted cool. it down in the background there. Um, <laughs> so, in terms of um, sort of things like on the on the sort of the manageability side of things and the admin side of things, I'm guessing from the yeah. way you've described it, HA is is just very much sort of out of the box. You know, stuff is replicated across the the wider yep. cluster. You know, nodes go down, um, data gets re replicated. Is that pretty much all you need to know for HA? 
Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there can be entire like discussions about HA, but I think at the very high level, uh, because Druid is designed to power like user-facing applications, and, and many a times um, it's it's done to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Every HA is built in from the core, and yep. um, the entire workflow is designed such that like the application never goes down. Uh, so obviously, there's there's like just replication of data. There's the ability to run across like multiple data centers uh, across you know across the world. Uh, but beyond that, there's really nice operational characteristics, such as like you can do an update, a software update of the cluster uh, in a rolling restart fashion, uh, nice. such that the application never takes downtime. Uh, so you can actually shut down one process and then start it back up, and and like Druid is is smart enough to to manage like no downtime uh, deployments. Uh, another cool, I guess. Um, Aspect of it is um, the nice thing about having kind of different processes and isolated processes is, is if you mistune like your ingestion process and your entire ingestion process goes down, like your querying process is not impacted at all. So you can your system can continue to serve queries, yeah. uh, and this is just for workflows where you have like spikes of data where you have like randomness um, in your in your data ingestion or like just quer- crazy queries coming in. Um, these like these very uh, I guess heterogeneous workflows um, don't impact like when you have these like mixed um, heterogeneous workflows. They really only impact like one process. They don't impact like yep. the other processes. So the system is is really designed. It's pretty been hardened over the last few years. Really designed uh, to survive a lot of different types of failure. Yeah, so you get that kind of isolation, separation of different processes, so that you know an issue right. an issue in one place won't won't cause the the whole thing to to fall over. Right. Nice. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, you mentioned uh, you mentioned sort of things like uh, replication to other data centers. So, for me, that comes more yeah. into kind of DR and disaster recovery. So, you know, w- yeah. what what are things like geo replication? Is that is that something built in? Something reasonably easy? Uh, so, yeah. So, disaster recovery is very important. So, we, we do have a philosophy of like data should never get lost, mm-hmm. um, and there's there's a variety of ways of of doing that. So, one is. Um, we're one of the few systems that actually support a guaranteed exactly once ingestion from a variety of different types of message buses. So from like Kafka or Kinesis, excuse me, uh, Kafka and Kinesis, uh, for example, we can support exactly once ingestion, and we're guaranteed that like no data gets lost uh, ever there. Um, in Druid, uh, obviously, as you index data, it actually has an automated backup uh, as well of all the data it indexes into some other like file system. So uh, there's automatic kind of disaster recovery. Uh, being done that as you like index and create these shards of data, these shards get backed up to uh, to some like separate uh, distributed file system. So the system uh, can automatically actually, even if like the entire system goes down and all of your data is lost in within Druid, if you have that data backed up in a file system, it'll just automatically recover from that from that file system. Uh, in terms of like geo replication. Um, that actually, Druid has a notion of being able to logically group together uh, like sets of servers. So, and you can configure like different replication strategies and distribution strategies based on these logical groupings of servers. Uh, so, for example, if you deploy on Amazon, you can have a set of servers that's like US West. You can have a set of servers that's US East, and say like, I want one copy of my data in US West and one copy of my data in US East. So, some of that geo replication is in place. And then the additional level of security is you can always have like multiple Druid clusters in like different regions. And then, um, you know, have something like Kafka feeding to all of them, like different Kafka clusters feeding to all of them, and use something like Kafka Mirror Maker to keep all the, the Kafkas in sync. Uh, so I guess at the end, there's just many, many levels of, of how you can uh, backup data. Okay, that makes perfect sense. 
So when we're talking about, um, you know, once you get past things like uh, the admin side of HA and DR, that usually the next question yeah. that comes up when you're looking at these things in enterprises is security. So, you know, I'm guessing things like uh, Kerberos, role-based access control, um, yeah. you know, audit and that sort of thing. How's that handled? Yeah. Uh, so actually with the most recent release of Druid, we've been spending a lot of time on security. We do support like end-to-end like TLS now, so end-to-end encryption of all traffic within Druid. Uh, we've also built a security framework uh, for managing user roles and managing authentication. Um, there's a basic auth kind of module that Druid comes with. Um, but along with that framework, you can actually plug in integrations with different security modules. And, and Kerberos is, is one of those things in which I, I think we might have created it already. I have to double check. Uh, but if not, that's uh, it, it's not hard to, to create that module. But I'm pretty sure there's already a Kerberos module in place to do like a lot of that security integration with Kerberos today. Mm-hmm. And, and, and folks in the community, like, I'm sure, over things time. Things like Ranger and that sort of area? Uh, I'm not sure if the Ranger module uh, has been created uh, today, but I imagine if there's folks that are, that are leveraging like Hortonworks, then that Ranger module is something that, that will be there pretty soon. Cool. Whether it comes okay. from the community, it comes from Hortonworks, or, or maybe we'll build it at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so in terms of um, how we, you know, we've started to see uh, Druid pop up within Hive, for example, and sort of mm-hmm. at the moment it's very much almost like a, a back end um, side of mm-hmm. things. Is is that something that you you see uh, happening uh, more and more? Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to think about the integration with like various SQL and Hadoop solutions, such as like Hive and mm-hmm. and Presto. Uh, so on the one hand, I do think it like makes sense um, because um, how the lot how a lot of the HQL SQL Hadoop solutions work is they can connect many sources of data and do like cross operations between you know uh, a database like a you know a static file in HDFS versus you know maybe a, something like HDBase and, and, and coordinate a lot of, of these workflows together. Druid is, is yeah. one of those databases and connect to. Um, so I think for a lot of like more standard data warehousing queries, like I think that's something that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would say that if you're trying to like power an application, uh, I probably wouldn't do like Hive to Druid, and this is because of like the natural overhead of like that that MapReduce step. Yeah. Uh, and 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 you know, Druid does support SQL, so you might as well just hit Druid directly. Uh, so I, I would say it depends on the, on the use case. I think for the immediate future, uh, the SQL Hadoop on, on Druid uh, totally makes sense. And as Druid uh, builds out more of its data warehousing features uh, over time, then um, you know it it will probably still make sense. But maybe some of the workflows can can go uh, dr- directly to Druid. And then if you have any sort of Queries in which latency is important, then you probably shouldn't go through Hive direct. Uh, you should just yeah. go through it directly. Yeah, no, makes sense. So, for for people that uh, like what they hear uh, about mm-hmm. Druid, um, you know, what what maybe does the the future hold? What's what's sort of uh, some of the things coming up on the on the roadmap? Uh, yeah, uh, there's there's a, a ton of stuff that's coming up on the roadmap. Um, the biggest one, I think, for new users is we're actually in the process of kind of redoing the packaging, redoing a lot of the documentation, just making it easier for, for folks to get started with so they can issue kind of one command line script and just start up their Druid cluster uh, without mm-hmm. having to think about what the different processes are behind the scenes and, and stuff like that. Um, so there's work going on that end and just, just better documentation about how to get started with the project, how to learn more about it, how to 
how to do various things and even how to operationalize and productionize it. Um, so on the ease of use front, that's that. Uh, there's a lot of folks uh, here at Imply who are working on simplifying the ingestion. Um, so for example, if you're ingesting like a pretty large stream of data uh, from, from Kafka or another streaming data source, uh, we're trying to really simplify like the configuration you have to do regardless of, of sort of the scale and spikiness of that data. Uh, so the idea is there's only a, a handful or maybe really one parameter you have to tune. As you think about ingestion, everything should just kind of work behind the scenes. Um, so just hardening ingestion, making it easier. Um, there's work that we want to do on, on like batch ingestion as well. So obviously if you have uh, like static files that live in HDFS or something like that, um, one thing we're we're looking we're looking at or we're looking to do is if those files change, like if you change your static files or you change your raw data, Druid is smart enough to be able to watch those files and see those updates and automatically re-index the data so your your changes just just get propagated all the way up to the UI. Um, nice. And then yeah, so there's there's things of that nature, and then uh, performance uh, is always something we're gonna be working on. Um, uh, just. There's there's the latest latest papers that come out about ways that that, that performance can be can be improved and we're we're pretty cutting edge you know there's there's a lot of approximation algorithms we support we're going to continue to support more uh, but beyond that there's also uh, just just general database like practices the, the latest stuff that's coming out we're continuing to to put that performance into the system. Awesome! Sounds like you've got uh, got a lot coming down a lot the line. Of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's there's uh, some really cool stuff that's coming down the line. I would say that depending on on when this is released, some of this some of the news might be public, some of it might not be. But I think uh, look for cool announcements from from the Druid side in the near future. Fantastic. I mean, so if if someone's interested, uh, if someone's particularly interested in this and is is thinking about maybe uh, maybe contributing, what what's you know what's some of the easy ways that maybe people could um, start off with. Uh, contributing to the project yeah uh, so there's various levels of contribution all contribution is appreciated um, mm-hmm. for example if you find like typos in the docs like a small pull request for that uh, those, those really help us out as well just just fixes of that nature uh, we, we maintain a list of kind of easier to get started projects Some of these might be like bug fixes just to get you a sense of the code um, mm-hmm. Happy to for people to submit those. Um, there's also some docs we've written on kind of the core modules of Druid. Like if you want to understand how coring works, there's a set of files you should look at. If you want to understand how like coordination works, there's a set of files you should look at. So folks that want to do want to understand uh, things a little bit more in a little bit more detail can get started reading the docs there. And and usually for more core changes, there's there's a process in place where someone will highlight their use case, the problems they have with the existing systems, and then propose um, basically a, a way that uh, this could be solved. So this is similar to the ASF process. Uh, basically, there's a proposal in place. People will review the proposal, review uh, kind of how, how things uh, should work. There'll be a discussion, and then someone will be responsible for implementing it. Uh, once uh, the implementation is done and a pull request is submitted to uh, to the Druid community, then there's committers on the project uh, who vote on the changes. So there's we have the plus, zero, and minus one system. Um, I think for most changes, one or two plus ones or uh, three, I don't remember, depending on the scope of changes, is required for, for the code to be merged. Um, but the committers on the project today, they come from, and I think we have like, you know, at least somewhere between five to ten different companies uh, represented. Uh, probably more than that is as like dedicated committers, and and the PMC as well is 
is uh, reflected um, by five or so different companies, probably more at this point. Uh, so there's a pretty device, diverse set of people that's kind of looking at the code and, and just trying to decide if it's the best thing for the project. We run almost identical to an ASF project today. Interesting. H- hence the uh, the earlier comment, which we which we won't go yeah, into right. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Well, I mean, it's been it's been great chatting to you. Um, it's, I've learned a lot myself about Drew, and I th- I already thought I knew a reasonable amount, but uh, yeah, I, I, my eyes have been opened even further. Um, anything else that you'd, you'd like to add? Uh, no. So um, I would say that if you're interested, you have questions, uh, we have various community channels um, mm-hmm. that you can go and learn more about the project and ask questions. If you're looking, obviously, for a more enterprise version with a lot of extra bells and whistles, you can also check out Imply's website as well. Perfect. And we will definitely add a, uh, a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, FJ, it's been fantastic uh, talking to you. Really, really uh, great to hear from you and some of the, the things that you've had to say about uh, about Druid. I will definitely carry with me. Um, but as we wind up these kind of interviews, we just like to uh, uh, do a, something a little bit fun towards the end. And sure, actually, just uh, what we ask people to do is define Hadoop. To someone that's never heard it, heard of Hadoop before, define Hadoop in sort of a sentence or so. Define Hadoop in a sentence or so. Uh, is this to uh, someone that's technical no, or not well, technical? Whatever you want. So, to someone, we don't really specify, but to someone that's never heard of it before. Okay. And you can't say it doesn't fit in Excel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, uh, this is this is an interesting question. Let me let me think about this uh, for a second. Sure, no problem. Define Hadoop. All right, so it could be someone that's that's non-technical. Um, okay, so man, Hadoop, you have a lot of data. You want to do some stuff with that data, like you want to process it, you want to query it. Look at Hadoop, and it should solve all of your problems. And if it doesn't, the extended ecosystem will. There we go. Nice, nice. Love it. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. Well, cool. <laughs> as I say, FJ, it's been great talking to you and uh, you know, wish you all the best with Imply. And who knows, uh, maybe we'll have you on a, on a future episode to uh, talk more about Imply because uh, having had a look at the website uh, a bit earlier, looks like you're doing some pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, Dave is definitely yeah, intrigued. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. Yeah, appreciate the time, guys, and I appreciate this interview. It was a lot of fun. Hey, we're happy to All have right. you. Great stuff. Well, take care and hopefully speak to you soon. Yep. Bye, guys. Wow. So that concludes our duo of episodes uh, from FJ, from Imply, um, really telling us all you really need to know about Druid. And with that, that's about all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed this Druid-powered serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information about the podcast, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. We look forward to slicing and dicing you next week. Interactively. Goodbye. See you then.